Who of you here is graduating from either high school or college? If you're here and you're graduating, could you stand, please? Either high school or college. It's interesting. Awesome. Now, stay standing for a second. It's interesting. We don't have a lot of high schoolers. We have a large population of elementary and an increasing size of middle school, and we're just building from the ground up. We have great ministries in those areas. Uh, If you know of somebody who is graduating from high school or college, either a friend or a family member, would you stand, please? Okay, look around. I, uh, I do this because this actually leads in the message. Thank you. Everybody can be seated. This actually leads in the message. Did you know, and this is, this is kind of alarming statistic. Some of you may have heard it. For the past 10 years or so, it's been fairly consistent. With people graduating from high school who have been raised in church declare a faith in Jesus, the studies show that 80% of them leave the church in two years after graduating high school. Now, that's an alarming statistic. And a lot of us may be going, why is that? Well, part of the solution is that's one of the reasons we're really focusing so hard on children's and youth ministry here and actually focusing very hard on how we do that in a way that not a lot of churches do. So that's one exciting piece that we're trying to address that issue by. But but I'd ask the question more so, why wouldn't they leave? For the past 10 or 11 years when I was guest speaking at churches uh, on a lot of places in the West Coast, I would ask this question. I would say to the churches, how many of you in the last month have asked yourself the question, why bother in church? Why bother going to church? Why should I go? Is it really worth my time? And even in the really good churches, I would consistently have 50 to 70% of the congregation raise their hands. In fact, here's the really surprising thing that may be really surprising to some of you. In a lot of those churches, the pastors raised their hands. said, why do I go to church? Now, let me just ask the question here. It's okay, it's not going to hurt my feelings if you raise your hands. How many of you have had that same question in the last month? With all the time pressure, with all the everything else going on in life, how many of you have asked the question, why bother with church? Is it really something that's worth my time? Now, you know, maybe I'm not seeing quite as many hands. Maybe it's because you're afraid you're going to offend me. Maybe I got more hands when I was asking this other places because I wasn't the pastor and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe we're just a, a different culture. That's okay either way. But it's a very legitimate question. Why bother? And that's going to be our series for June. Church, why bother? Why would we go to church? especially since we have so much going on. Wouldn't it be easier to have a Sunday morning to sleep in and just de-stress another time just to de-stress from everything that's going on, especially if you've got two or three kids at home and they're in, they're in sports or, and, you, and you've got a job and maybe you and your wife are both working and you've got kids in sports. You're just running like a dog all week long. And sometimes you may even think, man, I could probably even get the growth that I need for my own life better by reading a book or just getting together with a couple friends. Why? bother with church? That's going to be the question we're going to address this month. What makes church something worth bothering? What makes church something life-changing or exciting or joyful or fun? Or maybe you don't even use those adjectives for church. Maybe you haven't even asked the question, why bother with church? But you would not use the adjective fun, exciting about church. What could make church fun and exciting? You see, one of the things we're going to explore and the reason we're going to look at this is because all of us come to church for different reasons. 
Many of them are really good, accurate reasons that would bring us here that we should be here for. But I suspect, if you're like me, that some of those reasons why we come are a little bit like going to Subway and ordering a Big Mac. We walk away a little frustrated, right? I've been dreaming of Big Macs lately, even though I don't really like them that much, because my wife and I agreed to go on a diet with my wife, and it's only been fish and chicken for two weeks. I actually had just a little bit of beef last year, yesterday. It was really nice. But sometimes we go to church, and we ask for something that the church isn't delivering, and we walk away empty and frustrated. And here's the point. Understanding why church is hugely important for our faith walk Why do we do church? Because for some reason that still baffles me today, God, in His Word, has said that the church is His vehicle through which He's going to spread His goodness and His power and His love and His grace and His blessing to the world. And that doesn't always make sense to me. When I say church... What do you think of? Is the first thing that comes to mind the phrase, I'm going to church? I had a friend who used to be a pastor, and he was a real stickler on this. He would never allow his kids from the time they were toddlers on to ever say, I'm going to church. Because biblically, we don't go to church. We are the church. There's this word in the Bible called ecclesia, which means church, which is translated church, which means the gathering of a people for the purpose of a mission and a caring body. So this month, as we look at this, we're going to look at the four main metaphors the Bible uses for church to describe church and what it means, what it's about, why we would do it, what the purpose is, how we relate to each other. And the four main metaphors are the first one is God talks about us as his girlfriend. Sorry, guys. You may have a hard time relating to girlfriend. But he basically says the metaphor that you are the church and you are engaged to be married to me. You are going to become the spotless bride that I adore, that I'm enamored with. He uses a metaphor of the army. We are on a mission to fight a battle, to go from victory to victory because he's already won the victory. It's a different kind of war. It's the best kind of war. We win. But what does that mean for us as a church? The Bible uses the metaphor of family. Now, we all know that sometimes we're a bit of a dysfunctional family, okay? But we're family nonetheless. And it, and it talks about church as the fact that we are adopted into God's family and part of our mission is to adopt other people as well into our family. We are a family. And today we're going to talk about the metaphor of the body. But each one of these metaphors gives us something to ponder, something to look at that's going to help us not go to church and order a Big Mac when we're at Subway. It's going to help us understand the purpose and and why and help us maybe connect to the fact and the reasons why sometimes we maybe don't use these adjectives of exciting and meaningful and life-changing about church. It's going to help us to see what it means to live as a people of God. Today, the body. The body is a beautiful, amazing thing. and, And I looked up some facts about the body and... And and some of the things I pulled out where it says it takes the interaction of 72 different muscles to produce human speech. Now, sometimes you may think I'm only using 32, but I'm really trying to use 72. 
It said, by the age of 60, most of us lose half of our taste buds, which really explains why I like spicier and spicier food and why my wife hates the aromatherapy that results. (laughs) In our lifetime, get this, this is kind of fun. In our lifetime, we produce approximately 25,000 quarts of spit, enough to fill two swimming pools. Ready to dive in? Here's one you'll want to dive into if you're married. Kissing can aid in the reduction of tooth decay because saliva helps purify the mouth of whoever you're kissing. Now, if you're married, just go home and do sloppy wet kisses because it's part of your health plan, okay? Staying on the bodily fluids idea, a pair of feet have 250,000 sweat glands and can produce up to 8 ounces of sweat per day. Now, isn't that fine and dandy? The average person has 45 miles of nerves in their skin, but actually over approximately 100,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. That's amazing. The average woman has 17 square feet of skin, and in her ninth month of pregnancy, it's usually only about 18 and a half square feet. So you think you're a lot bigger than you really are. The average hour, we as humans shed 600,000 particles of skin. About 1.5 pounds of skin a year we lose. By the age of 70, we've lost 105 pounds of skin. And the average person in their lifetime has a complete change of skin on their body 1,000 times. And we vacuum it all up. The body is a beautiful amazing thing. And God talking about the church compares us to a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Now you, and to quote my southern friends, that you is a y'all. It's you plural. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's amazing. God is saying that we, the church, not the building, us, together as a people are the body of Christ, the representation of His very flesh and blood in this world. Not us individually, not us alone, us together as people who believe in Jesus are the body of Christ. Now when we think of Jesus, you think amazing things, right? You think, man... He heals people. He's a life changer. He came and changed the entire course of history. There's so much awesome stuff about Jesus. If we're the body of Christ, then we look at the church sometimes and we go, boy, does that really match up to what we would think of the greatness of Jesus? What does it mean to be together as the body? Not coming to church to get my needs met. It's not about me. We oftentimes think about life in terms of me. But Jesus is saying, if we're going to understand what it's like to be the church, we need to think about life in terms of us. Now, a body we know is obviously is this kind of a no-brainer. A body is meant to work together and cannot function well as separate parts. I mean, come on, if we see an eyeball rolling across the floor, that's not a good thing, right? But how does that work for us to be together? 
I was pondering this and thinking it, and I I was reminded back to an experience I had a couple years ago. Now, I haven't been a real consistent runner through all my life. I love being in shape. I'd rather play basketball to stay in shape, but because of three kids at home and work, it seems to be more efficient to run. So I run. Well, a couple years ago, I ran myself into my first experience of knee problems. And I had to take 12 weeks off and go to physical therapy. The interesting thing was, after doing an MRI, that there was absolutely nothing wrong with my knee. I was having tremendous pain in my right knee, but there was nothing wrong with my knee. So for the next 12 weeks, I spent time strengthening core muscles and these little muscles in my hip that didn't require any weight at all to work on. They just required me laying on the floor and doing lame things like that and holding it there. No weight. They didn't want any weight. They wanted to work on the small little muscles that just because of the running were not that active. They were just kind of sitting there, but they had everything to do with the mechanics and why I was having knee pain. One of my favorite times in church was a time period between 1992 and 1994. I was in a church and we were seeing marriages saved. We were seeing people come to Christ. We were seeing people who had left church and disillusioned with church coming back and getting passionate about it. We were seeing so many cool, wonderful things happening. And the church, because of those cool, wonderful things happening, was actually growing like crazy. It went from about 250 to 950 in 18 months. And at one point during that growth phase, we counted it up and we looked at it, and there were 383 out of 398 adults involved in significant ministry in the church. And beyond that, we had over 70% of the people involved in small groups, and they were loving it. It wasn't about us as the pastors doing so much of the ministry. Everybody was so excited because in their small group they were seeing this marriage saved, these people opening up and deciding, oh man, I'm not alone. You know, it's so easy for us to go through life thinking we're the only ones with marriage problems, especially when you get newly married. Everybody who's newly married, you have this stigma that says, man, I'm supposed to be so happy. This is the honeymoon phase. Everything's supposed to be great. Why am I feeling so crappy? Why am I so mad and frustrated? Why am I not enjoying this? And we saw people getting into small groups and discovering they weren't alone and they were ministering and caring to each other. They were doing life together. They were were caring for each other when they had babies. When they were sick, they were visiting him in the hospital. When they had a job promotion, they all threw a party and celebrated. When they moved, everybody showed up and helped them move. They were doing life together. And everybody was so excited. And it was so fun to be a part of church. But so often, think about it, most churches operate by the 80-20 rule. 20 of the people, 20, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, which means in a church of our size back then, there should have been only about 60 people involved instead of 383. And you know what? If there had only been 60 people involved in that church, we wouldn't have had the same excitement. Now you're going to say, man, this is all about you as a pastor getting up trying to promote and get people involved. Well, no, it's actually a little more than that because because we, we approach church a lot of times like my knee pain. We approach church and we want to sit there and not be active. And so we've got these little muscles in the hips sitting out not doing anything And then we look around and we see pain in the church and we see this knee over here in the church having pain and we go, man, I don't want to experience that. I don't want to be a part of that. But it's really 
The body is meant to all work together. And when it doesn't work together, we don't experience the results that we want. And we experience pain because we've got muscles sitting there not doing anything. It was so exciting to be a part of this church because, you know, most churches, if you volunteer, you get tired and you get burned out. And half the time you volunteer like crazy. And after a year or two, you're just kind of going, man, I have to do this, which I'm really passionate about. I have to do this, which I'm not. And you get tired and you start going, is this all there is to church? And when we come to it and we don't volunteer and don't get involved and don't give our gifts, then we also look at it and say, is this all there is? Is it going to be interesting enough? Am I really going to grow? Is this guy going to, is this guy going to tell me something I don't already know? Which is really pretty hard to do. There's really nothing new under the sun. You see, following Christ and the lesson of this metaphor of the body is that faith in Christ and Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not coming and sitting. It's not even an individual faith decision, which many of our churches have preached so strongly that all this thing about faith is a private individual thing, and our culture has said that. No, faith in Christ is expressing belief in Him and saying, I'm willing to follow you to be a part of a body that represents you. I'm willing to follow you and give you the gift that you've given me, the part that you've asked me to play. You see, in the church I was a part of, it was so exciting back then, there was hardly anybody getting burned out. There was hardly anybody leaving saying, this is not exciting, because they were getting to see the changed lives, because they were connected to each other, knew each other well, and were serving together. They got to see the excitement that sometimes in a lot of our churches, only the pastors get to see. This is happening at Quest. God's already doing this for so many people. We recently, about a week or two ago, had a, had a men's group that had finished a six-week course on the Strengths Finders. Many of you have probably done that in your work or familiar about familiar with that. We're going to do some courses like that in the fall again. But I was having the privilege of just ran into one of the guys who did that last Sunday in the in the lobby. And I didn't even really ask. The guy was just excited saying, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is my part. I'm so excited to get involved. He's getting involved in an area of ministry in the church. He's saying, I'm so excited to get involved because this is what I can bring. I can help people get connected and I can hardly wait to do it. Do you know how fun it is to see that kind of, this is not work. He said, this is not work to me. This is play to me. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron and I were sitting together looking over the, you know, the summer and we were looking at uh, Denise's plans for VBS and De- Denise is doing such a good job in the children's ministry and helping take things forward and, and setting the standards and the bar higher, but also giving a whole lot more resources to people. And, and she said, Aaron and I looked at each other and said, man, she's asking for this many volunteers for VBS for the summer. We were going, we were kind of going, good luck. And the exciting part is she's already got almost all of it. She needs a few more, but there are people like you sitting out here who are actually catching the vision and saying, I have a piece. We can make this church what we talked about in terms of the vision of being a great place for kids to discover faith and prioritizing that. And thank you for doing that. 
We've got another team of people who are helping me with the youth pastor search. They formed an interview team. They're doing all the first-round interviews. They're spending a bunch of time and giving great feedback into that, using their gifts in a simple way. And over the last couple of months, I ran into two different couples who on their own are saying, I'm not going to wait for anything formal to happen to the church. I want to be more connected. I want this place to be more connected. So they're starting to just plan barbecues and invite a bunch of people over because it's hard to be a body when we don't know each other, when we're not connected. Now, I'm going to give you two quick points about, uh, about the metaphor of the body from, from Scripture, and I'm sure you really know these two points already, so we're going to go through them quickly because they lead to a bigger point. And it's about, the two points are all about how we so often get caught up in the trap of comparing ourselves to others. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, and starting in verse 14, it says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. So often in life, in our work, in our friendships, even in our neighborhood, when we get together for Oktoberfest with all the people in our neighborhood or whatever we get together with, we are so prone to create pecking orders. We're so prone to go through life and say, man, that guy over there who's a mouth said this brilliant thing and it made such a difference. So even though I'm a foot, I want to be a mouth. Life is all about constantly getting promoted and getting more recognition and more attention. And, and sometimes we say, man, that eye over there, they discovered this amazing thing and, and that was so cool, it made such a big difference that, that the hand says, I want to be an eye. And we're always pursuing status or recognition or the public things or, or promotion. And, but the economy of God is, you know what, if you're a foot, be a good foot. Because if you end up trying to be a mouth, all you got is hoof and mouth disease. And, and if the hand's trying to be an eye, all you're going to do is be poking the eye and you're going to be causing pain and it's going to be difficult. The economy of God is to be the best version of you that he created you to be. Because he created you amazing, good, with a wonderful purpose. And to simply be content with that. But it's so easy. We're constantly comparing ourselves. We compare ourselves to people on the TV. We desire success that somebody gets instead of just being who God's called us to be. Paul goes on and talks about comparing in a different way that, that leads us to isolation that I think really speaks to our culture. I know it speaks to me. He says in verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We live in such an independent, individualistic culture. And we like to do things our ways. Sometimes we don't want to take the advice of somebody who thinks so different than us. So we tend to not want to go with that feedback and not want to go with that perspective. And we isolate ourselves and say, I'm just going to be with people who are like me just going to hang with people who are like me because it's more comfortable. Now, usually we don't use words, especially in the church. We're just way too nice to actually say the words, I don't need you. We don't say that. 
We say it a little more sophisticated, and it's, it's kind of like what I refer to as the spiritual nose syndrome. In the church, we hear it like this. The nose says to the foot with all its 250,000 sweat glands, you're not very spiritual. All you do is run and work all day. You try to do things on your own effort. You don't take time to smell the roses and worship and just spend time just pondering the nice aroma of God around here. And You really are just way too works-oriented and you're just not spiritual like me. Then the foot says back to the nose, well, man, if you get your head out of the clouds and do something, we might actually get something done around here. And we start comparing and we start judging and we start judging spirituality of people based upon gifting and and we distance ourselves from them and don't take the full body of Christ because of that. We start judging life through the lens through which we see. But Paul says about this whole body of Christ thing in Ephesians 4, he says this in verse 15, he says, Instead, speaking in the truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Now here's the bigger point. We all know that we're supposed to respect other people's gifts. We all know it's easy for us to compare ourselves and pursue promotions that really aren't who we are. We all know it's easy for us to judge other people, right? But the issue for us as followers of Christ is not even really so much about the comparing. It's a trust issue. Do we trust, as Christians, Jesus to be the head of all of us? To get us to be and do and find the joy and the success and the excitement of being the church he's called us to be when it's a whole lot easier to trust Him for ourselves. But if I'm a foot and you're a nose, I think you're screwed up. Or what happens if, if, if I'm weak one day? Do we trust God to be the brain of the body, to compensate for my weakness or my failing or my hurt or my injury to help us to really become this true, beautiful body of Christ? Do we really trust him with each other? When you're wrong or I'm wrong or when I screw up or when you screw up, do we trust God to correct us and keep us together as a body? Or do we just say, you're wrong and I'm leaving? Or you're wrong, so you go over there and I'll do what's right and I'm not going to pay attention to you. See, the body has to stay together and we have to trust the head. Now, Maybe right now some people might be feeling spanked by what I just said. Might be feeling a little bit, of con- little bit condemned. I, I, I did a little bit when I said when I started writing this this last week and thinking through this. But you know what? If you're feeling spanked, or if you're feeling just a little bit condemned, like oh, yeah, I am judging and he's judging me, and I don't feel really good, it really reveals more about how we view God than it does about being spanked. Back to Ephesians 4, it says, then we will no longer be infants in verse 14. It goes on in 15 and says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. Now there's a lot said there. But here's the point. God sees us. We already talked about this on an individual level. Let's talk about it on a body, on, a, on, a, on, on an us level. God sees us as his wonderful created potential. He doesn't see us in all of our screwed upness. And he says here that you will, as the body of Christ, grow up into all things that I have asked you to do. Why? Because it's dependent on us? No, it's not dependent on us. It's because it's the DNA of Christ in us that is causing us to grow. It's not dependent on us. He will fulfill his purposes through us, all of us, in all of our screwed upness. He will fulfill his beautiful maturing of a body because it's his DNA and his plan to do it. Think of it this way. It's so easy to see God and think he's spanking us. But think of it this way. How many of you have had kids and how many of you are older siblings who maybe had uh, uh, remember having an infant uh, sibling in your home? Okay? Think about it for a minute. When they were first starting to walk, what was it like? You know, the kids would pull themselves up on the coffee table and they'd pull themselves up on the couch and you'd probably sit down with them and you'd hold both your hands about six inches away from them and your first goal with, was, with, with, with them was to get... This, see, this is only 32 muscles working right now. Your first goal with them was to get them to let go and reach out and grab your hands, right? And they probably wouldn't do it for a long time. They'd probably grab just one and you'd pull away and try to get them to grab two and sometimes they'd probably fall down. Then your next step was to set them up on the ground and then they could stand confidently. You'd set them in the middle of the room, let them stand and you'd move a couple feet away and you'd sit there and you'd say, come on, come on, walk to me, you can do it. And what happened? They'd fall down a million times, two million times. And the worst of it, especially if you have a soft heart, was sometimes they'd just start to cry and they'd put this face on that just said to you, how can you do this to me, you mean person? You're making it unsafe for me. And they'd cry and they'd get frustrated. They'd lay down and they'd quit. And what would you do? You'd pick them up, lift up their little onesie and you'd flubber their tummy and get them to laugh and you'd set them up and you'd do it again. That's how God is with us. He's not condemning us for our weaknesses. He's not condemning us for trying. He's not afraid of us falling down and failing. He's not afraid of us even throwing a fit and pouting. He is such an amazing, loving, encouraging God. And He's so much better than us because if you're like me, I know that with my kids as they get older, I start getting frustrated. I start not remembering to to encourage them like that. I, 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 we both get frustrated and I don't flubber them anymore, although flubbering was outlawed in our household a couple years ago. But you know, I mean, we get frustrated as they grow up. God doesn't get frustrated. He knows what's age appropriate. He knows what we're going to do. And he's just sitting there encouraging, saying, come on, get up. He's wanting us to laugh. He's wanting to flubber us a little bit and have fun. But... We don't always see God that way. For us to be a body, we need to have the same level of parent-infant grace towards each other that God has towards us.
no judgment. We need to learn to live in the joy of not comparing, not having jealousy, celebrating with each other in success, compensating, complimenting each other in weakness or in failure, but being together. Because it's not you individually. It's not me individually who is the best representation of Christ in this world, of His grace, of His love, of His joy, of how much He wants to know us and spend time with us. It's us together. And it's people seeing us share that kind of Christ's love towards each other that best represents Him in this world. In our last series, we were taught that the Spirit is with us and that we need to practice His presence Practice awareness of Him in our daily life and His presence with us. But as the metaphor of the body teaches us, we need to also practice the presence of God by learning to grow in love with each other, to stay connected with each other, to give grace to one another, to compensate when others are weak around us rather than putting them off and judging, to show the kind of love to be the body of Christ. Wendy found this beautiful illustration of complimenting and compensating that I think illustrates how that can work for us, even in the body. It was several years ago there were two men who graduated from the uh, Chicago-Kent College of Law. The valedictorian of the class was a guy named Mr. Overton, and, uh, and when he got up to receive his honor, he said, I can only take half the credit for this. And he said, my friend, and I can't say the last name, but so we'll just call him Mr. K. He said, my, my friend Mr. K deserves the rest of the honor. You see, Mr. Overton was a blind man. And one day while he was walking through the hallway and needing to find his way around, Mr. K, who didn't have any arms, walk, walked up to him and said, can I help you? And they struck up a friendship. It was They were both freshmen. For the rest of their time in school, Mr. Overton carried the books, and Mr. K read them aloud. And they scored one and two in the class. And they went into law practice after they got out of school. We can accomplish so much more being together, being the representation of the body of Christ than we can alone. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how exciting, how fun, how satisfying church could be when we have those kinds of relationships with each other, when we accept each other's weaknesses and we celebrate each other's strengths, where we compensate and cover for each other when we screw up and when we sin and instead we stay together instead of isolating ourselves. Can you imagine how much people who don't know Christ would look at us and say, can I, can I be a part of that and experience that? And then they experience not just our love and our presence, but they experience God's presence because God's presence inhabits that kind of relationship. It's not just us. It's not just us in our own power learning to do that. 
It is the God of the universe being with us to help us do that. And this is Quest's future. This is the invitation that we all have from God to be a part of something like that. A place of love, a place of grace, a place where our gifts thrive and they grow in safety. Over the years, I've seen some churches that I think approximate this type of thing. About 10, 12 years ago, I became aware of a church in Houston, Texas. This church has reformed most of the poverty, rough areas of Houston to a greater degree than any other entity in the Houston area. They started by targeting and ministering successfully to the up and out of their culture. The people who had been wildly successful. But we're asking questions like, is all there is in life just one more acquisition? One more sale? Making a little more money? One more toy? Bigger house? Bigger country club membership? Is that all there is in life? Or is there something better, something more significant to be a part of? And this church became a place where businessmen and people who were successful in all fields started to realize that my gifts that God has given me there can actually be used to be a part of God's goodness. And they started doing things like community redevelopment projects. They actually brought in, uh, and they took an area and totally redeveloped. I think, it's, uh, I think I said 200 acres. I think it was 20 acres. It was a huge area of the downtown area. They just went in themselves through business partnerships with their church and redeveloped the whole area. And they put in social services and medical clinics and mentoring clinics. And they brought a, an extension of a college in and, and they provided These businessmen, these people who started to use their gifts provided a place in their own community where the hundreds of small groups that developed in that church had outlets for meaningful ministry through all of these things that were going on. And they changed their community. In fact, thousands of people came to Christ and came to faith. And thousands more were blessed by the goodness of God and are still on that journey. And you know how I heard about that church? It was on a business trip. I believe, I believe I was headed to New York City. It might have been Florida. And I was flying Continental. And it was featured on the front page of the Continental News, Continental Magazine. And that powerful, that impacting. A friend of mine leads a small church making a really big difference in Hayward, California. Hayward is one of the poorest areas in the nation and one of the highest cost of living areas in the nation. The average home... Used to go, I don't know what it is now, but used to go for $700,000, and yet it's a poverty-stricken area. And because this church respected the boundaries of freedom of religion in the schools and did not become overly pushy but respected all the appropriate boundaries, they gained so much trust with one of the roughest schools in the area which actually borders their property that that church has basically said, we trust you so much that you won't violate these things, that you can do whatever you want. They've started mentoring programs. They've started tutoring programs. They've started feeding programs for the kids at lunch who don't have food at home. They've done clothing things. And just about a year ago, the, the school had about five or six acres that were unused of property. And this pastor friend of mine who grew up in the cornfields of the Midwest and now is in the concrete jungle of Hayward went to the school and said, you know what? 
what if you give us a long-term lease to this property and we'll farm it for you? You can use it for science experiments. We'll give the food to the lunch program and to our feeding program. So they're teaching gang members from a concrete jungle to grow their own food. And they built so much trust that people are leaving the gangs. They're starting to believe that God really does have a purpose for them beyond what they can sell drugs for and avoid getting beat up and killed over. They're getting grades that are good now instead of failing. And people are coming to Christ. Now our community is different. But there are talents in this room that can make the same impact. We won't make them alone because maybe you're a stomach, but the reality is a stomach is just an ugly flesh, a ugly piece of flesh until it gets connected to the throat and the mouth and all the other parts that a stomach needs to be connected to. We cannot fulfill what God wants us to fulfill unless we learn from this image of what church is about. It's not about coming and sitting. It's not about head knowledge and learning. It's not about a personal faith and a personal decision. It's about becoming the body of Christ, learning to know each other so well that we know what our gifts are. And we find out if I'm a stomach, this person over here is the throat, and this person over here, and we start to work together, and we become the image of God in flesh in our community in practical ways. And it all starts, it all starts with connection. If we don't know each other, we can't do it. In the fall, you'll see us pushing small groups a lot more. It's not just a program, folks. It's just a means to help us know each other so that we can actually discover church in a meaningful way that we can know each other. Now, not everybody will need that to know each other, and that's okay. The point is not the program. The point is becoming the body of Christ and learning to know each other and live life together, celebrating good caring for each other when we're going through troubles and just helping each other stay focused on growing. But I don't want to wait till the fall. Summers are typically a time where church tends to kind of just check out and there's not a whole lot going on other than VBS and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it tends to be a time when just things kind of go dull. And so many times we in church wait for the corporation of church to catch up in its organization, which we're trying to catch up. We've got great people. Denise is going to come on full time as soon as she finishes her, actually this week, her writing for her defense of her doctorate. So she's in a big crunch week if you think of her, pray for her this week. You know, we're going to... We're going to do the corporate things to help organize us. But you know what? Don't wait for that. Be like these two couples this summer who are just taking initiative just to do something simple. Have barbecues. Would you do that? I want to invite you. and no, no, Really, I want to encourage you and I want to ask you, would you help us become more of the body of Christ? Would you help us 
without any organization from us to get better connected. Just this summer, do three to five barbecues. Have people over you know a little bit. Have some people over you don't know really well, but you'd like to get to know. Have some people over you don't know at all as part of those barbecues. Get to know each other. You know what? You might discover you're a thumb, and you might find that person who's an index finger, and you might get excited saying, man, God's got something really cool for us to do. And you won't know that until you get to know that person. Would you do that? We're going to celebrate communion. And uh, if you can put the verse up, for some reason I lost it on my notes here. Communion is so often an individual celebration for us as well. Do we have that verse in Corinthians? Paul says this. He says, I speak about communion. He's talking. He says, I speak to sensible people. This is just really practical talk, folks. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, referring to what we're going to drink, a participation in the blood of Christ, a participation in giving grace to one another? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. It's all about the body, folks. It's not an individual faith. Ushers, would you come and pass out the elements while we sing and then we're going to take communion. We may not see the church as a glorious, exciting thing. We may see it as something that we do. But today, God invites us to be something glorious, something exciting, something grace-giving, something sacrificial, something attractive. Something compelling. Something life-changing. And it starts with grace towards one another. We can't have and function in the unity of the body without grace. So we're going to do it a little different. I want to take the juice first and ask God, would you make us this kind of a grace-filled community? And Lord, as we stand before you today, holding this thing we call bread, not sure what it is, might be styrofoam, it's edible. But Lord, as we stand before you, we've sometimes looked at church and wondered about what it can bring to me. But Lord, today we stand before you and say, help us be you in the flesh. Help us to be your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take. Can we make this the summer of barbecues? Can we make this the summer of getting connected? Can we make this the summer of discovering what church can be like? You know what? My experience in 1992 through 1994 was great. I think we're going to have a better one. God bless. Have a great week.